Let's get started with the prayer. I'm going to begin with today's gospel. It's from Matthew chapter 9, um, verses 9 to 13. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be in our midst and that your son continues to be at work in our midst today. Jesus, we welcome you into our days. We welcome you into our lives. We welcome you into the right now moment of our lives. And we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be stirred in our hearts. Holy Spirit, be stirred into flame that we would truly uh, come to know all of the ways that you long to bless us with mercy, that you long to heal us and set us free. Help us to never doubt your mercy or your fidelity or your presence or your power. Jesus, come alive in us in new ways. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When I looked at the feast day, and you know, it's one of the ways that I just try to get a cue. Okay, Lord, what am I supposed to talk about on the radio today? Lord, where do I go with today's program? Because uh, I, you know, I walk with you guys right day to day and, and share with you like just actual happenings in my family's life, but always in the light of saying, I'm trying to be a disciple of Jesus. That's my goal. I want to honor Him and allow Him to be at work through my life each and every day. I want the Father to be glorified. That's what I want. More than I want to win the lottery. And those lotteries are getting pretty big. <laughs> I want to honor the Lord. I want to honor Him. And, and it's, uh, I do, do you think that? Like, I think that at night, like when I'm, um, uh, do you go to, like when, you, when you're falling asleep, do you like have some music on or, or some radio or, or some other kind of like voice on? I like to go to bed in silence so that I can use that time at night before I fall asleep to have that kind of conversation with the Lord, right? Just some conversation with the Lord. And I got to tell you, I, it's when I'm able to go to bed at night and just like, um, I, don't really, I don't know if it's like have a smile on my face, but be able to say, Lord, you know, I, I just, I really love you. And, and I hope that you're pleased with today. I hope it's, it's a, a kind of, um, I guess, comfortable examination of conscience, but I hope you're pleased with today. Other times, I, I, I'm not like that. I, that's not my like personal position um, before the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry that you have to put up with me. <laughs> Do you ever say that? I say that. I say that regularly to the Lord. Lord, like, when am I going to finally reach the starting line? I, I know that sounds weird. What am I going to finally reach the starting line of sanctity, the starting line of, of being a saint, being all in for the Lord? Like, when am I going to stop living life 
with half measures? When am I going to stop quickly putting up boundaries and limits regarding what it is the Lord could ask of me? Or limits around what I would be willing to do? Or limits around what I would be striving to give? Like, why is it that I can come up against places that are uncomfortable or that ask of me a bit of dying to self, a bit of extending myself on behalf of others, a bit of sacrificing of things that are pleasing to me for the sake of more time with the Lord in prayer, um, a bit of restraining myself from things that might be good in this world and pleasurable in this world. They're not bad things, but in St. Augustine's um, beautiful, profound teaching, you know, if you do not restrain yourself in things that are illicit, you will not restrain yourself from things that are illicit. He has that really kind of profound human insight that says, like, if you just try to, like, get as close to the line of falling into sin, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. But give yourself a berth. Give your, don't let yourself get too close to that line of saying, yeah, that's not really a sin. I'm still on that side of staying in the boundaries of what is licit, what is you know, um, not immoral for me to do. Uh, he, he says, don't get too close to that line. Give yourself some space. <laughs> give yourself some space because you'll find yourself falling over that line into sin. And so that means things like, some spiritual discipline, right? That means some spiritual exercising. That means a bit of self-denial, dying to self, um, not being afraid of suffering, being willing to um, undergo trials with patience, um, seeking the Lord, um, even when it's, it would be easier just to stay in bed and sleep. But no, get up and go. Uh, make that sacrifice to get to Mass. You know, fast and deny yourself that pleasurable thing. Those are ways of creating space, a buffer zone between you and sin. So it's a, it's just part of the the wisdom of our, our church. I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna break that open a bit more by looking at the um, the Beatitudes on this feast of Saint Matthew. Uh, and so that's the sort of the, the longer section that I'll um, I'll be talking about. Uh, but I'm going to begin with a, a reflection on this gospel that opened the program. The gospel is the call of Jesus. I have to say, though, I also smiled about um, today's feast because whenever I began to think about, oh, let me reflect on the scriptures and and on this feast day with the one of the four evangelists, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew also being one of the twelve apostles. Um, he has a very spa- uh, a special place in my heart because when I when my faith came alive as a teenager, when my faith awakened when it was challenged as an eighteen year old, and I started reading the scriptures, it was the Gospel of Matthew that I went to first. Um, I, I don't exactly know why, but it was the Gospel of Matthew, and it was um, uh, it was Matthew seven twelve that I was like the first verse I memorized. Treat others the way you would have them treat you. This sums up the law and the prophets. You know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Matthew seven twelve. That was the very first scripture passage that I memorized, and um, and and it's not the last, but that was the first. And, and it also introduced me to my to the idea of having a personal Bible, a Bible that you would make your own. 
And it's something that um, I was thinking about for my for my teenagers in particular, uh, that they're at that stage in their lives where if we could put the right Bible into their hands, they would make it their own. They would make it their own through taking time to read the scriptures and in doing that, nurture their own relationship, their own communication, those senses of encountering Jesus in the scriptures. And um, I was talking about with Carrie, and Carrie's like, well, Tom, you know, I think we, like, we need to get the, the relationship with Jesus first, then they'll go to the scriptures. And my, my response was, well, let's let them go to the scriptures, and then they'll get the relationship with Jesus. And, and I think we're both right. I think we're both right. I think that for some, the journey is that they're going to have an encounter with the Lord in prayer, in adoration, um, in, in on a retreat, hearing a, a special talk that the, that the Lord anoints and uses to move them um, in, in some special encounter where they get to see God move in a powerful way. And then from there, they'll be led to the scriptures. And, and they'll bring that light of faith that got stirred into flame in their hearts so that they'll want to nurture that flame, like water those seeds that were sown by reading the scriptures. And I know that that's, well, that was how it happened for me. Um, it was first adoration. And, and then from there, it was the scriptures just were this place of such powerful nurturing of that relationship with the Lord. Um, but I also believe that for some, that place of encounter is going to be the fruit of a, a commitment to seek the Lord in the scriptures, to honor him through a devotion of reading the scriptures. Sort of like a devotion to um, pray the rosary or to go to mass or to do the liturgy of the hours. Um, getting your kids into a habit of reading the scriptures and teaching them, teaching them to do so with a sense of expectant faith that read the scriptures to meet the author. Read the scriptures because the Lord is knocking on your heart. And one of the ways that you will open to him and learn to, to hear his voice is by reading his words. Did you get that? See, when we read God's word, it, it's, it's, it's a living word. And so read in faith, read in a way that says, Holy Spirit, move. Move in me as I read these scriptures, that these scriptures would come alive and be what they are, a word of God. It'll be a place where the very heart of Christ will be revealed, so says St. Thomas. It'll be a place of encounter with the Lord. Uh, it'll be a place of fresh bread. That was, um, who was it that said that? It was, um, oh, he's not a saint. He was a 15th century cardinal in the church, a very profound philosopher. Oh, darn it, I don't remember his name. Um, but he talked about serving up fresh bread, and, and that can happen in the Word of God. And so, you know, isn't that an ev evocative image, right? That when you think of going into a bakery and they have fresh bread, it just is so, you know, invigorating and um, uh, it makes you hungry, huh? And, and to think of the Word of God, right, as, as a, a form of the bread of life, as a form of the bread from heaven, right? It's a place where the, the Lord is feeding us fresh bread in the scriptures. So that's what I want. I want that for my kids. And so um, one of my sons needs a study Bible for his um, religion class. 
And so I'm like, oh, this is this is a great chance to get him a study Bible, you know, that has a, an index, a concordance, it has introduction, has footnotes, it has uh, other references. And so um, I ended up getting, um, get there are a couple of really solid ones, right? So there's one from Ignatius Press, uh, the Ignatius Study Bible. And there's a particular form of that that um, Dr. Scott Hahn um, put together with uh, Curtis Mitch, so that's one that you can look up. But I believe they've only released so far the New Testament for that particular study Bible. Um, and so the Old Testament was supposed to be released, I think, earlier this year. Maybe it, maybe it's going to come out soon. Um, but, well, as of yesterday, it wasn't available. And then the other one was um, the, uh, I, th- I think it's called the Catholic Adventure Bible. It's from Ascension Press. And it, there are a number of, um, prominent Catholic uh, scripture folks who have gotten behind um, that in terms of providing footnotes and commentaries and, and helpful uh, guideposts, um, like Dr. Mary Healy and um, David um, Williamson um, and, uh, uh, and others and others. So uh, uh, just... Those are both those. I, I just share those out loud just to say that if you're looking for um, a good Bible um, for your teen um, who has a sense of openness to seek the Lord, or maybe has that sense of faith and and you want them to be able to access the Scriptures as God's Word and and be able to get like a resource in their hands that can help answer their questions if they feel stuck. Like, what does this mean? What's being gotten at here? Then. Um, Getting them a Bible that they can feel good about marking up, underlining, circling, you know, uh, writing notes in. That, for me, has been a very powerful a tool that the Lord has used in my own growth in faith, is having a Bible like that. In fact, uh, you've, you've probably heard me share this before, but the one that I have, I've had since the late 1980s, and I've had to have it um, bound, rebound like three times because it kind of always falls apart. Um, but um, I need it to be rebound again. <laughs> but I don't want to let go of this Bible, even though it's an older translation of the New American Bible. Um, it, it, it has so much of me in it, so much of my encounters with the Lord in it. Um, so if you don't have a Bible for yourself, get a Bible. Get a Bible and seek the Lord through the Scriptures. And um, if you, if if it's if you're thinking about what gift can I get my son or my daughter, especially as they're in their teens and their late teens or uh, out of the house, get them a good quality Bible that can again provide answers and a beautiful conduit for them to experience God and His communication through His Word. All right, back in a minute with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So today is the Feast of St. Matthew, and at the beginning of the program, I uh, opened up with the, um, the gospel of the call of Matthew. And um, uh, I am going to reflect on that. Yes, I am. Um, but as I'm launching into the second segment, I want to first of all thank all of you who participated in the Fall share for Sacred Heart Radio last week, last Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
And um, it was such a blessing to be able to be on with um, Ron Belter and, and the other team that was there over the course of those three days. And um, so many folks called in and were very generous in, in making financial um, gifts and, and tax-deductible donations. And I do really, truly appreciate that. Ron let me know that uh, by the end of the three days, the total amount brought in was a bit short of the budgeted need and that someone had stepped up and said, look, we have, um, uh, or I guess several folks did, and they have um, $20,000 in matching funds available. That's a lot of money available. $20,000. So um, Ron said, hey, would you please mention this um, and let folks know that if you call, if you can call this week, this week, so today's Tuesday, between Tuesday and Friday, if you can call um, the the studio, call the radio station um, and say, I would like to make a, a, a financial pledge, a gift, it's going to be matched up to $20,000. And so I do encourage you to go to sacredheartradio.org and click on the donate button. That counts as well. So if you didn't have a chance to make a, a donation last week, sacredheartradio.org, click on the donate button. If that's something that is more difficult for you, then just call. Call the station. And um, if no one answers, leave a message and let them know that you you know just someone will call you back and they'll take your pledge. Or they, they will be there during the day to take pledges as well. And you, you'll remember the number. It's 800-949-1050. You can call right now, actually. 800-949-1050. And just say, I want to make a pledge uh, now and help achieve that $20,000 goal that you have in matching funds. I want to be part of that. And so just you, if you... If you Missed that chance last week. You can do that today. You can do that during um, the, uh, any day this week, 800-949-1050. I really do appreciate that. Well, from there, I'm going to talk about tax collector. <laughs> There's a really smooth little transition going on right there. And um, it, it start with the call of Matthew. So I, I'm going to just um, walk through this passage of Scripture because it's so powerful. And it's really, it shines such a light on our own lives that it, it's worth hearing, right? And, and that's one of the beautiful gifts of Scripture is that Jesus isn't just encountering the people in the Scriptures, but Jesus also had you in mind, and he encounters you in these encounters that you see in the Scripture. So don't think that this is just like reading about um, an, an event in the life of Jesus or an event in the life of Matthew. No, this also shines a spotlight on our own lives. And, and I'll help draw that out. That, that, that'll be one of my goals is to draw that out. So this says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the customs post. And then Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now look at the context Where's Matthew? So Matthew's at work. Matthew is at work. And notice the phrase that begins this passage in Matthew um, chapter 9. It's as Jesus passed by. And you can think about the times in the scriptures where Jesus is passing by and people reach out to him. 
right? Think of the blind man Bartimaeus. Think of um, the leper in Mark chapter 1 or um, the group of lepers or um, others who hear that Jesus is passing by, the woman with the hemorrhage. And as Jesus is passing by, people take initiative and reach out to him. And an encounter happens. And that's one of the ways that we ought to expect that an encounter with the living God will happen in our lives is by recognizing that Jesus is passing by our today. You, you might be in the car driving to work. You might be driving to Mass, driving back from Mass. You might be uh, at home listening and uh, or in the evening when it's being aired uh, or on a podcast, you know, you're at the gym or on a run or whatever you're doing. I want you to hear this. Jesus is passing by the right now moment of your life. That's the concept of Jesus as the living Lord, the living Lord of history who says, I will be with you always, always, not in just some kind of general vanilla sense, not in some kind of misty, um, impersonal way. No, Jesus is a God of events. He is a Lord of moments. He is a, 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 a Lord of happenings. He is a God of encounters. He is, um, he is one who establishes moments of meeting. And, and so Jesus is passing by your today, your right now. And ordinarily I would be saying, reach out to him. Don't let him pass by. Don't miss the moment like the men on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and, and the other disciple. Jesus acted as if he were going further. And they, and they said, no, 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 please come in and stay with us. No, this is the opposite. This is Jesus passing by and he sees Matthew sitting at the customs post. He approaches Matthew. He addresses Matthew. He beckons uh, Matthew with a command, follow me or request, follow me. And that beckoning call, that invitation, that vocation, that call required a response. Get up and follow. And so I say to you, and today might be a Matthew moment in your life. It might not be a Bartimaeus moment, a Bartimaeus moment where Jesus is passing by and you've got to get his attention. No, maybe today on this feast day is the day that the Lord is getting your attention that the Lord is saying, look, you can immerse yourself in your job, in your career, in the, in the happenings of your day so much that you're missing out on the fact that I'm passing by. And so you're missing out on the opportunity to reach out to me. Well, you know what? Today's different. Today I'm reaching out to you. Today I'm knocking on the door of you in your workplace. I'm knocking on the door of you in your home as you're doing the things that you're doing right now. And what is he doing? He's saying, follow me. He's inviting a closer discipleship, a greater nearness and intimacy in the ways that you would actually accompany Jesus. And that, I don't know, that's pretty dramatic. That's pretty dramatic to think that today the Lord may ask something of you that he's never asked before. He may call you to a decision that is greater than you've ever made before. He may, in fact, ask something of you today that he didn't ask of you yesterday. He's saying, follow me. Follow me. 
Get up from where you're at. Get up from where you're comfortable. Get up from what you've known. Get up from where your career has been and follow me because I've got something different for you. I've got something brand new. I've got something higher and better. And, and that will come from, it'll be the fruit of your obedience to me as, a, as, as your Lord, that you're my disciple. And I have something amazing for you. But you need to follow me. And so pray about that. And you know what? If you have the courage, if you have the courage, say the prayer. Jesus, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as the Savior of my life. You have rescued me from so much. Your mercy has been so faithful that you've never given up on me. And now you are approaching me And I say to you, ready. I say to you, here I am. I say to you, yes, in advance of even knowing what you will ask of me. Lord, I am available. I am docile. I am ready. I say yes. And all I ask, Lord, is the grace and the courage to discern and obey what it is you're asking of me today. Whatever that is, whatever that meaning of of follow me is, I beg you, Lord Jesus, for the grace to be able to say yes and the courage to live it out. Please, Lord, give me the grace of Matthew today. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, hey, today's an exciting day. Today's a day where Jesus is passing by. He sees you where you're at. He sees you, what you're doing, and he's saying to you, follow me. Get up. Come on. Let's go. Whole new level of following. Whole new level of obedience. A whole new level of, of saying, I will not live in half measures. I will not live in the security of what I've known. I'm going to step out. Now, you have to remember who Matthew is and what Matthew is doing when Jesus approaches him. Right? You, you've heard the story. I'll say it again briefly, just as, a, um, as kind of a, a reminder. So what is Matthew doing? He's a tax collector. He's sitting at the customs post. So Matthew was not a, um, uh, he was not a liked guy. So he was a despised man as a tax collector. Maybe not as a guy, but as a tax collector because of what he did. So, well, who's he collecting taxes for? Well, he's, taxing, collect, he's, he's, he's collecting taxes for the Romans. You know, the, the ruling power in that day, in that time, in that place. And so why would a Jewish man be collecting taxes for the Romans? Well, the Romans needed uh, a Jewish man to collect taxes in these locales. Why? Well, the first natural one would be uh, the language, right? Someone who could be a, a bridge of communication between the Romans and the Jewish people. But there was another reason, and that was they needed someone who was connected locally, 
someone who knew who had the money, who was making the money, who was in the business, how these businesses were doing. Someone who would be able to say to the um, to these different Jewish people, all right now, come on, you owe more than that. You're going to have to pay up. And, and the Romans needed someone who could bring that kind of local knowledge to bear so that the proper taxes would be paid. Well, what did the uh, tax collectors sometimes do? Well, sometimes what they would end up doing is they would say, look, you know what? I'm being paid well by the Romans to collect the taxes. And you and I both know that you owe more than this. But you know what? If you give me a little bit of extra on the side, I think that this would probably be plenty for the Romans. This is more than they deserve. And so here's Matthew, who is betraying his own people to get more ta- to get taxes from them for the Romans. And then he's betraying the Romans by bribing, getting taking bribes from the from the the Jewish people that he's getting collecting taxes for um, in order to uh, further enrich himself. So let's just say, guy's very clever. He's a clever, bad man. <laughs> and where where does Jesus reach out to him? In the midst of the place where he is doing his dirty deed on behalf of the Romans and doing an evil deed, uh, an immoral deed in um, taking bribes from the Jewish people. Uh, and so not a liked guy. And, and Jesus like catches him. Like he's, he's caught in the act, right? And you can only imagine when Jesus looks at him in the eyes and he says, follow me. Like Matthew, like me? You think of Caravaggio's famous call of Matthew, right? He's got the, like, he's kind of leaning away from Jesus and he's got his finger pointed at, at himself. Like me? Me? Are you serious? And the, the shock of it all is that Matthew was known he was known by Jesus. But Jesus could see through and see beyond the sinful situation he was in. He could see beyond the broken situation that he was in. And he could say, I have more for you. I have something for you. And I want to lead you into the world for a whole new future. I don't know, that is so very powerful to me because you and I, we fall short. We fall short in, in misdeeds and even maybe in some bad relationships, some bad things that we're connected to. And yet Jesus, with the power of his mercy, with one look and one word, can break into those very circumstances in our lives, hey, and in the lives of those we love, our spouses, our children, our siblings, our parents, any of those that are in those circumstances, and we can say, Jesus can call them right out of it. He sees them, he knows them, he knows what they're into, and he says, I can get you out of it because I'm a a saving Lord. I'm a savior and I'm a Lord, but follow me. And that's something that we can pray for, for our own lives. Lord, please don't let us ever think that we're disqualified when you can call us. You can call us up and out of those things. But also for those we love, don't ever think that they're beyond the reach of the Lord who can break right into their place where they are sinning and he can call them right out and he can say, follow me. That is so beautiful and encouraging to me today. All right, 
Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today on the Feast of St. Matthew. Beautiful day to go to Mass if you do. You're going to hear this call of Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I want to finish up just a couple more reflections on this and then dive into the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. That's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And so began with this with this reality that the Lord takes the initiative. He's passing by our lives. And he called Matthew caught in the place of sin, caught in the place where he was betraying the Lord, betraying God's people. And, and even he was not disqualified from a call, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And that's a grace. That is a beautiful grace. I hope you do pray for that for your kids. Pray for the grace that they will be able to get up and follow Jesus to follow him wherever he would lead. And that we would do that too. We would do that as individuals. We would do that as families. We would do that in our careers, and our jobs, where we're living. Whatever dimension in our lives, the Lord is saying, follow me. Say yes in advance and watch what he will do. Well, what, does, what happens next? Well, Matthew invites Jesus to come to his house for a dinner. So, why, and you know, it's sort of as a celebration, right? You can imagine. And so while Jesus was at table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat with Jesus and his disciples. The Pharisees saw this and said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And now you stop and just stop right there and just say, um, First of all, you, you stop and you realize more clearly here just how badly tax collectors were seen, right? That they are, they are, the, they are the counterpart in the sentence to sinners. <laughs> They're so bad that tax collecting itself is so bad as a, as a profession that it is associated with sin. So much that uh, other people who are doing other things that, are, that just make them be identified as sinners is... Uh, is the career of being a tax collector at that time. So um, in another passage, you see Jesus being, um, uh, being chastised by the Pharisees when he ate with prostitutes and sinners. And so this is the kind of reputation that tax collectors had. And, and, and you stop and say, well, what's the big deal? Like, why would the Pharisees have such a um, uh, an aversion to this. Well, the idea is that if you're eating a meal, you are breaking bread, a companion. And if you share a meal, there is a form of communing with, a form of communion. There's a form of, I'm connected to you. I am in union with you. I am in a relationship with you. And tax collectors and sinners are visibly living lives. Can you imagine living a life that is so bad that you're visibly publicly known as a sinner, right? And so um, for these people, these are people that the Pharisees, who were striving to live righteous, godly lives in every aspect of their conduct, every aspect of their lifestyle, they were striving to live a righteous life, a life in conformity with God's law. 
And, and you can see where that led them. It led them to say, we need to take rigorous action to stay separate from those that are sinners, those that are manifestly living lives that are betraying the Lord or the faith or the, Lord, the, the people of God. And that's what tax collectors and sinners are doing. So if you are hanging around with them, if you are sharing a meal with them, if you are breaking bread with them, then you are going to share in their filth. It's like if you're going to hang around in a smoke-filled room, you're going to come out smelling like smoke, right? That's sort of the idea here. And, um, and so the Pharisees would have said, we have to separate ourselves from the, those that are unrighteous. Well, Jesus hears this and says, those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it's that last sentence especially that would have been so stinging to the Pharisees that Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Because the Pharisees, in their own minds, were striving to live righteous lives. And as a result of that, guess what? They were not seeing themselves as sinners. They weren't living in this awareness that there's this gap between their own righteous activities uh, and the righteous God who was asking for a relationship. That there was a distance, a separation. There was a, uh, a gap between whatever righteousness that they were living and the holiness and the righteousness that the Lord was asking. I did not come to call those who self-identify with their own righteousness, but rather with those who recognize that they fall short, that they are betraying the Lord. They have betrayed the Lord. They have broken his law. They haven't been faithful. Those are the ones I've come to heal. Jesus is the divine physician, and he comes to heal the sick. Jesus says, go and learn the meaning of the words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So what's mercy? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire to extend favor to those who realize that they've fallen short. Forgiveness and reconciliation to those who have settled for less but are ready for a fresh start, ready for a new beginning. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Not that sacrifice in itself is bad, but if those that are doing it are doing it out of a sense of this is how I will righteously fulfill the commandments of the Lord, then they're doing it as an act that is simply going to puff them up, lift them up before God. And this is where this is where it is easy for the devout. It is easy for the committed. It is easy for those who are most like seriously engaged in living our faith to fall into pride. It's easy for us to fall into self-righteousness. It is easy for us to become con, uh, condescending. 
um, to look down on others and to, as a way of measuring our own progress and our own actions versus theirs. And that is a path to falling. He who exalts himself, and that's what this is doing, will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I know it's the Feast of St. Matthew, but if you go to the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 3, there's the story of uh, that Jesus tells of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple. And, you know, the, Phar- uh, the Pharisee goes to the front, and he is praying, um, you know, with his head up and his hands held high and announcing his own righteousness before the Lord with all that he's doing to um, state um, out loud before the Lord his righteousness. And what does the tax collector do? Bows his head, stays in the back, humbles himself, and says, Lord, I'm not worthy, right? Lord, I'm not worthy. Just show mercy to me. And it's that one that Jesus um, lifts up. That's it. That's the example that Jesus uh, puts forward um, as the example for us to follow. There's a famous scene in the movie um, uh, Schindler's List where Oscar Schindler at the end is driving away because the war is over or it's just about to end. And the um, Itzak Stern, the accountant, who is his... Um, uh, who is his co- colleague uh, in this whole effort to save the Jewish people? They're about to depart, and um, and it just hits it, it, the dawning awareness that hits Oscar Schindler what he's done, how he lived a lavish lifestyle, and even though he saved so many Jewish people, he could have saved more if he'd been willing to sell his car, to give away his ring, to. Um, to, to be more sacrificial and generous, he would have saved more lives. And, and in the face of the, the evil that is now dawning upon him, he says, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. And Itzhak Stern looks at him and says such a powerful line, you did so much. You did so much. And, and that's the opposite, right? And, and here you have in, in, in Luke chapter 3, the parable, the righteous man is saying, um, I did so much. And what the Lord will say back to him is, you didn't do enough. Unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you have no share in the kingdom of God. But if you come before the Lord like the, the uh, publican, the tax collector, Lord, I didn't do enough. That's where the Lord has that grace, that mercy to step in and say, no, you did so much. You did so much. All right, up against the break. When we come back, I'm going to shift focus over to the Beatitudes on this Feast of St. Matthew. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. So we are um, reflecting on the Gospel of Matthew, on the Feast of St. Matthew. And um, say a prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask for a couple prayers for me. Next Monday, I take my real estate broker examination. Next Monday morning. Ta-da! And uh, I've been putting in a lot of time and effort to prepare for this. And uh, I feel pretty good. I don't, I don't want to uh, exalt myself. I'll get humbled. <laughs> I'm willing to be humbled uh, in order to pass. But um, say a prayer for that so that I get the time and the energy to be able to um, to be able to uh, actually study well 
and be prepared and pass the exam. And again, it's uh, not that I'm going to be a a full-time real estate agent, but I've just helped so many people um, move here in terms of um, like helping them understand um, the Spokane, Coeur d'Alene area um, for those that are um, looking to move. This just provides me much, much more information and insight that I can give to them to help them uh, on their journey um, this way for those that are that are called to be here. So um, anyways, so I'm excited to be able to, to do that, um, to be able to use a real estate license to um, to be a blessing to families even more fully than I, uh, I have in those situations where um, I've been invited to do that. So I do appreciate you. I appreciate any prayers that you have. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, are really the teaching of Jesus. And then 7, 8, and 9, uh, or uh, from um, 8 and 9, you have the, uh, the deeds of Jesus. So you have Jesus uh, teaching, and then you have Jesus showing forth uh, miracles. Okay, so in Matthew 5, Jesus, again, goes to the, uh, to the mount, sits down, gathers his disciples, and begins to teach. How blessed are the poor in spirit, the kingdom of God is theirs. Um, I'm just going to take these one at a time instead of reading them all. How blessed are the poor in spirit, the, the kingdom of God is theirs. Um, I, I love this one. and this, is, this one's first in importance. It's first because it's the gateway to all the rest. Like you want to be part of God's kingdom, right? You want to live under God's protective care. You want to live in the realm of God where you are in relationship with the one who rules over that realm, and that is God the Father, that the Father is the Lord of his kingdom, and Jesus rules and reigns as well as king of kings in that kingdom. And so you get the blessings, the protection, again, leading, providing, and provision that come from God, all happen when you are under the cover of his kingdom. You want to be in that kingdom, right? Well, how do we get there? Well, how blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, what does that mean? Well, I sometimes we hear it just too quickly said, poor in spirit, well, it doesn't mean poor economically. Okay, fair enough. But it's not completely dis- uh, separated uh, from the concept of wealth either. And it means this, is that um, all that we are and all that we have come from God as a gift. And so even the wealth that is ours, any riches that are ours, have been given to us as a gift, and that means we're stewards. We're not owners. So being poor in spirit has something to do with living out the stewardship of the life that is ours. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit then? Well, what it means, if I want to give you a simple way of understanding it, it means being utterly convinced and aware of your radical need for God. It's being utterly convinced and aware, conscious of the fact that you are completely incapable of fulfilling the call that God has for your life on your own strength. You are powerless. And this is, this is always the surprise 
It's a, it's a it's a big surprise because we think that okay, where God calls, God graces, and that's true. As the Lord calls you, He's called you into existence. He's given you the gift of life. He loves you. You are a gift to Him, and He's going to empower you. He's going to empower you to be able to fulfill the call He has for your life. Those are those first and third moments in, in this dynamic of being a disciple. It's that second moment. It's the middle moment. It's the moment of poverty, otherwise known as the moment of desperation. The moment of complete incapacity. It's the moment of radical inability. It is the moment of um, deep, deep um, awareness of one's own weakness. It's it's amazing. I've been um, reading the Office of Readings. I've shared this with you in the Liturgy of the Hours. I made that my devotion in the morning. I used to just read morning prayer, but instead have shifted to the Office of Readings. Um, it's not one of the hinge hours, so it's a, I've felt more freedom to, to not spend as much time reading the, um, the, the Office of Readings. But one of the themes that becomes so apparent in the Office of Readings in the four-week cycle is the um, is the the manifestation in the scriptures that are chosen of this radical desperation. So just here, yesterday. So I'm recording this on Monday night. So on Monday, this is what it says. It says, um, "Have mercy on me, Lord. I have no strength. Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul is racked in pain. I am exhausted with my groaning." Every night I drench my pillow with tears. I bedew my bed with weeping. My eyes waste away with grief. I have grown old surrounded by my foes. That's from Psalm 6. That's porn spirit. That's porn spirit. Lord, heal me. My body is racked. My soul, my soul is racked with pain. I'm exhausted with my groaning. Every night I drench my pillow with tears. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said, uh, I have not, uh, um, I've not come to, to heal those um, who are healthy. A physician comes to heal those who are sick. And we don't realize day to day, ordinarily, our own spiritual sickness. We don't, we're not convinced of our own radical desperation. Well, I don't know how anyone can pray through those four week psalter, the four week cycle of office of readings, without realizing that the church is like, drilling into uh, the core of our being, planting and sowing into our hearts the reality of radical incapacity. Uh, the a number of times that the scriptures, these psalms that are chosen for the office of readings, have as a theme groaning, crying out to God, radical desperation. Lord, I'm surrounded by my foes. Lord, I'm pressed in on every side. Lord, the, 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 the stench of death is all around me. Oh, Lord, I'm racked in pain. Oh, Lord, I'm suffering tremendously. And you have to remember that the Liturgy of the Hours, it's the church's prayer. And so when priests and religious, they pray this, 
they are meant to be drawn into a radical solidarity. And anyone who's praying it, drawn into radical solidarity with the members of the body of Christ who live this in a way that they can't ignore, they can't avoid, they can't just stop experiencing it. The sadness is, this is a sadness, hear it, this is a sadness. The sadness is, for too many of us, it's too easy to ignore the radical desperation of the situation we're actually in. It's too easy for us to avoid spiritual poverty. It's too easy for us to ward off being poor in spirit. But this first beatitude really, really, really ought to get us to stop and think, I'm avoiding the cross. I'm avoiding the suffering that is going to literally drive me to my knees, bring me to that place of radical desperation, the cry, the groaning in my heart, that is the doorway to God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is theirs. Oh, yeah. The Lord has his kingdom in, in store for us. That's his call. But the, the grace comes through the doorway of our radical desperation, of our own need. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying pray to become desperate. But I am saying pray to receive the awareness in your life of where the Lord has already planted you in places of spiritual poverty. And in those places where he's already planted you, cry out with authentic groaning to God. Just pray Psalm 6. Pray the office of readings. Let those words soak into your life, soak into your being. That's a great place to start. All right. I'm up against the end of my time, and I've touched the first beatitude. Well, I guess I've got a theme for tomorrow. Pick up on the, on the Beatitudes then. Well, I hope and pray this was a blessing to you. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.